Hello and welcome to a new episode of Other Record Labels. I'm your host, Scott Orr, where we talk about the art and culture of running an independent record label. And today's episode is part of our Industry Insider series, which we started recording back in 2018. So uh, this series has been going on for about four years now, and we've had the opportunity to interview people, organizations like Bandcamp, uh, to talk about Bandcamp, and Infinite Catalog to talk about royalties and we talk about lathe cutting and we talk about streaming and all sorts of different industry uh, insights for us as independent record labels. And today we're talking with Key Production, which is a company in the UK who have been around for at least 20 years. And I talk with the founder, Karen, and we talk all about manufacturing. We're talking about records. We're talking about supply chain issues and we get to ask some of the tough questions about who's causing those issues, why are the prices going up in the middle of production and and, and some of those tough things. And, and Karen gives us a lot of great answer, answers and insights into this world. We talk about cassettes as well. We talk about CDs. They have a group of companies that do just incredible packaging. You can check them out at keyproduction.co.uk. And they have a couple other um, subsidiaries as well, um, Breed Media being one of them, in, 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 who can be found in our in our trusted vendors directory. Uh, and they put together great packages for musicians and, and album packages. And I'm like drooling over their website of some of the cool bespoke packaging options that they put together. Uh, anyway, in today's episode, it's just all about manufacturing and it's all about the current state of manufacturing as it relates to us as indie labels. I think I'm going to put together the notes from today's episode on a website where you can uh, access it and and listen to this episode and to watch this uh, version of this episode on YouTube if you want. Just go to otherrecordlabels.com slash manufacturing. That's otherrecordlabels.com slash manufacturing. So I'm, I'm reading your bio online and I see that you used to uh, tape the top 40 off of the radio. And so Talk me through this strategy because I remember doing that too. And I'm curious, how good were you at this pressing record before the, and, and what I want to know is, did you, was your strategy to hit record and get some of the previous song or was it to wait for that song and, and actually miss a couple seconds of the good song? It, it was definitely to um, miss the bad song <laughs> and just get the good song. Yeah. And you have to kind of like sit over the tape recorder yeah. with one finger on play and one on record. And yeah. just go <laughs> <laughs> the, the greatest invention is when you could press record, play and pause and then just use the little pause button, which was kind of quicker to do. <laughs> um, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? Because um, I, when I was at um, university, I used to DJ, and I DJed really badly. I think I probably DJed in a similar way to taping the top forty. It's like I knew where one one record yeah. ended and the next record started, and I could kind of match that quite well. But mixing was a big no. Right. <laughs> <laughs> It's so funny that back then, um, maybe not so much in in the by the end of the '80s, but but there was a time where the record companies were pretty scared of people who were taping off the radio. Uh, that, that was really funny because they used to have big stickers on uh, vinyl records saying "Home taping is killing music." Yes, they like uh, a cassette with skull and like like a skull and crossbones. Yes, thing. yeah, which I think has been made into now T-shirts and hats. And <laughs> <laughs> little, yeah, and now look everyone streams everything yeah little did they know what was coming only a few decades later yeah so um 
one of the hot topics right now is production costs and and supply chain issues and and in all industries i mean like any industry that that you can think of we are are always hearing this but in our industry we're hearing a lot about it can you talk to me about what things are like and what's happening with the various formats that you guys produce <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's it's been going on for quite a while now. Um, hmm, if I start maybe a year or so ago, um, there was a lot of problems with um, the actual PVC material. Mm. And it kind of stemmed from there was some really, well, part of it was there was some really bad weather in Canada that stopped a lot of the oil production and it okay. took a long, long time okay. for it to get back up. But then coupled... Uh, coupled that with the fact that um, ev- everyone needs more compounds than they used to because everyone wants more records than they used to. Yeah. So everyone's ordering more. So that there was a huge problem with coloured compound at one point with all the people that were supplying it were only had only kind of thought that they were going to supply the same as they had in the previous year. Okay. So when there was a big explosion they weren't making any of the compound and so nobody could get it or they were selling it to the highest bidder or selling it to a different industry because they were paying more. And then there just became a whole, it was really difficult to get. Mm. And then the, the vinyl factories, the pressing factories, in order to press colored vinyl, each time you press a piece of colored vinyl, you have to kind of clean the machine down in between times to put the next color in. Right, And so it's a much slower process than just pressing black vinyl. Um, and when you've got so much more demand than supply, you know, you're just going to want to do what's most efficient in the factories. Right. Despite the fact that you know, everyone wants coloured vinyl, for a pressing plant, it was like, we've just got to get as much out as we can, and so it's going to be black. Oh, I see. So there, there, there was... There was all of that around that. It's, it's so good it's a podcast and <laughs> I'm not live because I'm throwing my arms around. Um, so so that, that was part of it. Um, part of it was um, due to blockage in the Suez Canal that was yes, right. in going through for a long time. Right. Again, all of that's kind of been blocked up. Um, a lot of factories wanted to get new machines, um, but they have the newer machines now have chips in, and of course, right. nowhere anywhere that uses chips, Crazy. there's a problem with production. Um, in the UK, we've had Brexit, mm-hmm. so we've had changes in all the taxes and the VAT, which has caused enormous supply chain problems. Right. Um, uh, uh, the, we've had paper issues. Um, not, they called it the Amazon effect for a while, which was when um, everybody's buying online. Everything's being packaged in cardboard, so all the cardboard's been used up. Oh wow! I didn't. I never heard of that one. That's a new one. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Um, but then there's also been um, sort of paper shortages right. um, with, with all the factories. Yeah, it's literally been kind of one thing after another. And then, of course, um, the supply costs have been getting more and more. We've now got um, Russia-Ukraine war. Mm-hmm. A lot of our factories um, that, that we use are based in Europe. And in fact, um, in the States as well, mm-hmm. a lot of the European factories are being used. They all get supplied with gas from Russia. Right. So we don't quite know what's going to happen at the sure. moment. 
it's escalating prices. Yeah. But at any time, you know, there, there could be, you know, a, a supply problem with the gas. So, so that it's, it's been crazy. And then you put COVID on top of everything and sure. the fact that there's nobody to work in the factories. That's right. I mean, I, you know, you've mentioned probably two or three things that I'd heard of and another two or three things I'd never heard of. It goes to show you, it, as we bring this back to uh, manufacturing physical media for music, it goes to show you how some of these products or all of these products have so many components and we forget about it. It's one thing if we were printing a poster, but a lot of cases we're printing a poster inside of a cardboard sleeve, you know, with, and, and CDs and tapes, they all have at least four, five components to it and different suppliers. Something we don't think about. Exactly. And, and it's, yeah, you, you mentioned that as well. So, so when you, before you actually press the record, um, you make um, plates to actually sort of press mm -hmm. the vinyl. Yeah. And the component of that is nickel. And there was a huge nickel shortage wow. at one point as well. <laughs> so that kind of stopped that. Oh, prior to that, you probably heard that there was a fire in, um, so, so prior to making the nickel plates, you have what's called the lacquers. Yes. And there was only two places in the world that produced them, and one of them um, I remember that. set on fire. Yeah. So yeah. you're then down to one place. So yeah. Again, yeah. <laughs> Um, it's been a fun couple of years. I bet. I bet. So um, this is a tough question to ask because it's, it's um, you know, uh, nobody knows the answer to this, but uh, we're starting to get the feeling that some of these price increases might be permanent, right? Because it, it used to be, well, we're in the middle of a pandemic, so of course things are are, are higher. But now we're, we're seeing suppliers, and I'm not, of course, I'm not talking about you guys, but we're seeing suppliers of materials saying, we're probably not going back down to that price no matter what, right? It, so is that kind of true that we're starting to see maybe this inflation is hitting us in such a sense that that these costs are permanent? At the moment, they're fairly permanent. Mm -hmm. I'd, say, I'd say, I mean, I, I, who knows what's going to happen in the world? Yeah. Um, but, you know, the, the, the war isn't stopping. Yeah. The demand isn't stopping. Yeah. Um, you know, there, there's, you know, what happens if, if um, there's a political situation in Taiwan, for example, mm -hmm. where also that's, again, that's computer chips. Oh, yeah. Um, there are transportation costs because of oil and gas prices. At the moment, that's not going away. I mean, if it goes away, then things will lower. But then I guess we have to look along the whole supply chain and think, yeah, and, and I remember this years ago, everyone was arguing about the price of CDs. Right. And uh, how terrible it was that, that they charged so much for, for the price of a CD. Yeah. So it, what, what could happen is you get to a point where, where the markets will take what it can sort of thing. Yes. So you look at the raw materials cost of, if you say a pair of glasses, mm -hmm. and it's way less than, than we paid for our glasses, but but the market, because of all the different steps that goes in it, and you have to use an optician, blah, 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 you know, you're willing to pay that. So, so, so you will pay that. And I guess people yeah, down along the supply chain, are they going to lower their prices when they can still get a high price? That's right. Yep. As a business, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure, but then certainly for, for, for our business, um, they might get to a point. I mean, I've, I've been on a, a load of um, sort of Twitter trails and threads <laughs> um, of people saying, it's like, okay, so how high does a price, a piece of vinyl have to get to before 
you stop buying it. Right. Um, right. You know, we, we've got a cost of living crisis in the UK. Yeah. And if someone has to heat their home or eat or buy a piece of vinyl, you know, <laughs> well, I mean. Yeah, that's a bad example for our audience. <laughs> I was actually going to say, you could say, you know what, at least not buying a piece of vinyl and listening to music is going to make you happy. That's right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, you know what? It's in, it's interesting you talk about because I'm I'm a consumer of, of vinyl and tapes and CDs and everything, and you know I in here in Canada I, I live in Canada and so our price of of a record is different in the states and it's Canadian dollars so it's probably it appears to be fifteen percent higher and that's really just the exchange but then we also import a lot so I you know it would be nothing for me. Like anything under thirty dollars is a bargain, you know, for a new vinyl, Canadian, and so. Uh, but that's been going up, and now most new vinyl is probably thirty nine ninety nine, and uh, you know, of course, I'm I grumble at that sometimes, and it makes me have to slow down my my purchasing. But at the same time, when you talk about all these components involved, and there was recently a documentary um, that was like eight hundred and. 20 hours long that was like this art installation that showed the process of of manufacturing a pedometer in Japan and having it shipped to to um, the Scandinavian country and it was just it showed the absurdity of of all of these things that we buy and how long they take to make and to ship so I almost feel like consumers need to say, listen, you're buying this piece of art that you might have for the rest of your life and pass on generations so fifty dollars shouldn't be a big deal. You know, we shouldn't be expecting these things to be uh, $20 and under. That's just my opinion. Well, I mean, obviously, I, I agree with that to, to a certain extent, knowing all the process that goes into it. And the process is crazy. I mean, we do workshops um, with people to kind of show people how, how vinyl is made because there's so many places, yeah. um, processes. It kind of blows your mind <laughs> when you go, I mean, when you go to a factory as well. Just smelling, it's amazing. <laughs> yeah, like you say, the components and the shipping and the getting it to you and, and uh, just the whole thing. Yeah. Um, but it, but yeah, the question is, and that, that's what's being talked about in, in the moment, is, is how high, when there's a cost of living crisis, yeah. is how high can it go before people's habits change? That's right. Um, interestingly, yeah. Sorry, I was going to say, interestingly, some of the threads said, oh, well, I've stopped buying new vinyl. I wait for the price to drop a bit, but I'm buying CDs again now. <laughs> well, I want to talk so much about CDs with you because this is this is leading into something interesting. One question about this whole um, uh, COVID issue that I want to ask you before we move on is about demand. And you talked about demand a little bit. And when COVID first started, there was this thing, and, and I don't know if it was um, just anecdotally, I don't know, if, but it, it, you would know better if, this, if there's data to support this, that artists were recording more because they were at home. Major labels were making more because people had this money. They're stuck at home. They wanted entertainment products. Is that true? Did that really drive up the demand? And is that demand still there today? Um, I, I think that is certainly why it started driving it up. It's, um, I mean, it, it was incredible. So, I mean, first of all, when COVID came, um, everything um, kind of dropped off a cliff. Yeah. And then as as it carried on, we saw more and more demand. And, and, and it was that. It's, not only that, is is music is a lifeline to people. Right. It's like when, when, you're, when you're struggling, you're locked in, you might have, you know, a lot of mental health issues. 
It's like music is, is what helps people in all sorts of situations. And so, and, and of course, a lot of people, you know, you couldn't go out to see shows, you couldn't right. go to festivals or anything like that. You had a bit of an extra income because you couldn't spend it. And so, and, and I think by, by buying physical product really bring, brings you closer to an artist. Right, yeah. And so I, I think that kind of starts it. I mean, and, and we absolutely saw, I mean, I, I, I thought that, it was going to level off. So, so a few years ago, when vinyl sales started shooting up, we were all saying there's going to be a point where, where it just levels off. Not that it's going to go down, but it's going to level off. There's only so many things you can reissue. <laughs> but, but what happened is, is more people are buying. So, so, the numbers, so the numbers we press have gone up. Um, and I think what's happened is we've, cr we've created new generations of people that collect vinyl. Sure. So now it's, you know, <laughs> I think when I first, well, mind you, I first started over 30 years ago, so I was young then. <laughs> but, <laughs> but for a while there, it was, it was, I suppose, an older generation sure. that were buying vinyl. And then there was the next generation down, and now there's another generation down from that. And people don't ever stop once they start. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely for me, I guess. Yeah. Um, so, so that shot up, the numbers have shot up. Um, talking to people, all the customers that we deal with, we can't give them enough. There isn't enough in the world to, yeah. to fulfill what people are asking for Crazy. at the moment. Yeah. I think there will be because a lot of, yeah, once. Once the machines are made and can come online, yeah. you can find the staff that haven't got COVID. You yeah. can train the staff. Right? It's a lot of, again, lots of processes. Sure. Um, but I do think there will be more capacity available in the next year or two. Mm. Um, and if numbers start going down a bit because of cost of living crisis, um, then things will even out. But, but again, I mean, last, last time I said things, and everyone that I knew said things are going to even out, and it just went completely off the scale. Right. Yes, because it started to actually seem like uh, maybe in 2019 or so that we were going to start to, you know, the, the plants were starting to meet the demand. The turnaround times were were decent. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> so let's, I'm curious if some of the issues with vinyl have been driving renewed interest back into CDs, like you had mentioned. Is that true? Are we noticing that? Because I mean, I'm seeing that. A little bit on Twitter. I love it. I love the idea. Uh, can you talk to me about that a little bit? Well, I think so. We've always, and a lot of the major companies that we work with, and the independent companies we work with, still put out a lot of CD, and mm -hmm. have always been putting out a lot yeah. of CD. And it, it's when you read it in the news. And again, I'm I'm, I'm speaking quite from a UK perspective. Here. Sure. When you read in the news, they say, for the first time, the value of um, vinyl is above the value of CDs in, yeah. in the amount that's sold. But that's the value. It's not the numbers. Right. Yep. So CDs still outsell vinyl in the UK. Yeah. Yeah, we forget that. That's incredible. Um, and I kind of, I used to get, get really angry because you'd, you'd read these news reports or you'd hear these news reports of like the death of the CD. <laughs> and I'd be sitting here going, it's not dead. Yeah. You know, we, yeah. We, we still make more numbers. And, and not only that, you know, again, collectors are collectors mm -hmm. and they're not dead yet. They're yeah. still collecting. Yeah. Yeah. 
And I don't know about in Canada, but in, in the UK, you know, still the, there's a big secondhand car market. Mm-hmm. And a lot of cars still have CD players. Oh, sure. And people want something to play, play in their cars. So, yep. yeah, there is, there is still a market. I mean, sometimes we're amazed <laughs> at some of the, the stuff that we get asked to put out on CD. And you're going, really? <laughs> there's still a market for that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, for sure. No, I think that's that's so interesting. And I, I love what you were saying in the previous conversation. I, I hadn't thought about that. But, you know, I, when I started buying vinyl for myself, new vinyl, maybe 20 years ago now, uh, I'm still buying it at a rapid rate. I haven't stopped over the 20 years. And in those 20 years, somebody was born and turned into a 20-year-old and bought themselves a record player. And now they're starting on that journey. And like you said, I'm not dead yet. So I'm, I'm still buying those records. And then the generation above, me are still doing it too and so yeah very very fascinating to see how this and 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 the same thing is true for cds um yeah that's very very interesting so what is it about cds that you think has them refusing to die as so many people had assumed they would um well a lot of people i mean, i know a lot of people go on about the the beauty of the sound of vinyl um, and how much richer it is mm-hmm. um, and, and how they much prefer it. And they love the fact of turning it over sure. and how it's a whole process and the big artwork. But you also get some people that really love how a CD sounds and the, the clarity and the yeah. beauty of that. Um, space, you know, yeah. space, collectors, sound, yeah. I'd say. And the yeah. fact that people, you know, people still want physical products. And I think that, again, it might be a generational thing. There's, there, I think there are certain generations, once you've started collecting CDs, you're not, I mean, you'll get some people that have just sold their whole collections off yeah. and yeah. just go and, and, and uh, stream everything. Yeah. But then, at the same time, there's people that have started collecting and are keeping collecting. Yeah. I we've seen cassettes find their place in this industry in a niche way. And of course, vinyl is huge, still growing. And and I I guess I'm wondering, uh, will CDs find this? um, I think what's interesting is that, you know, in our, you know, our experience, the history of formats have always been about what will advance and replace the previous format. Whereas today, it kind of feels like, I have CDs in my car. I have vinyl in my living room. I have streaming on my phone. I have cassettes, you know, in, in on a bookshelf in my office. Uh, do you think that that's true for a lot of people that we're almost like all the formats can can exist together? Well, I'm the same as you, so I'm going to say yes. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> good. I had great fun when I bought myself a cassette player a couple of Christmases ago. Yeah. Like going through all my old dusty cassettes yeah. and heading them out again. Um, I think so. I, mean, I, I, I think it, I, it does vary from person to person, yeah, sure. doesn't it? <clears throat> and, you know, and you'll get certain people that they'll only do one thing, another, another. And I, I think it's also, it's slightly dependent on... Um, what type of music consumer you are because remember there are some people that aren't like us yeah and and just, and music is a passing thing okay you know yeah. and, and it's not a i need to go and see the show i need to get close to the band yeah i need to buy something to remind me of them so so people consume in different ways right i think people that that can that are, are kind of fan consumers 
yes, we want stuff, don't yeah, we? we that's want, right. We want the tangible. We want someone to come along and look at our shelves and go, oh my gosh, you've got that and judge what sort of person you are on it. Yeah, yeah, that's so true. I actually, there was a, a season, I, I used to buy tons and tons of CDs, way too many when I was younger. And then I, I think I probably stopped maybe maybe eight or nine years ago. And and then I just bought a new CD again just this past year. Like with, I started to buy a brand new one again. And that was a good feeling. I felt it, like they're already nostalgic. Yes, yes. It's crazy. We see, and I thought with cassettes, I, I've always said that I think the, the reason that cassettes have started sort of selling again and people wanting them again. I, I suppose there's a few reasons. And, and one, I think you hit the nail on the head with nostalgia. Mm-hmm. Is that I've, I've seen a lot of kids kind of want something that their parents had that they never did. Oh, okay. So they feel nostalgic for it. Yeah. That, the price points, the, they're Instagrammable and you can stick them in your back pocket when you go out of a gig. Yeah. <laughs> they are Instagrammable. You're right. And and I think one of the reasons uh, that they're so popular is just because they're such a unique shape and they, they don't fit that format. CDs are square. Digital even followed that format of a square artwork, vinyl square. And so, yeah, this, what is this thing, this little case? And I, I think that <laughs> or rattles, yeah. <laughs> so you guys are you guys do cassettes as well. When I look at your website, which I find interesting, you kind of there's no hierarchy to the formats. It's it's vinyl, cassette, CDs, and so on. And, and I find that very interesting. Um, I, obviously, vinyl is very very popular. Um, but what role does uh, are you seeing cassettes and 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 even CDs play for you guys in manufacturing? Well, as I said. Um, uh, it's, I mean, it's changed a lot over the years. As mm. I said, we've been going for 32 years. Right. So uh, CDs, yeah, I made loads more CDs than vinyl when I first started. Sure. Um, in, I mean, we still do, as yeah. I say, but, but, but the difference has changed. Yeah. You know, I mean, we, we've got sort of discs up around with, you know, several hundred thousand CDs, half a million CDs, a million CDs. And it's like, my God, you can't even like imagine those numbers now. That's right. Singles, they don't exist, do they? Yeah. <laughs> but we've, yeah, we've, we've always done everything. Yeah. But I've seen ups and downs, um, and obviously, so the vinyl's gone gone up and up. CDs have have always been more than vinyl. They're now less more than vinyl. That's sure. Terrible, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Are they? Are they curving up though? Because I think it was the, yeah. Okay. And so what are you, I mean, are you guys just watching that, keeping an eye on it? Like, or are, you know, I'm curious because as the tapes kind of came back, we started to see more colors of tapes. We started to see almost innovation in this space that I don't remember back from in the eighties and nineties In the eighties, nineties, it was cream, white, clear, black. Um, so we see a lot more exciting things in, in tapes. So are you seeing this with CDs? Are, are you guys preparing for what could be a CD uh, revolution? <laughs> oh, I would, are we preparing? I, I guess we're, we're, we, we will try to source whatever the client wants, but yeah. it's also what's available at the factories. Mm. Um, I don't think I've seen any... I mean, obviously, we see a lot more cardboard packaging yep. um, than plastic, which is a good thing. Sure. Um. But apart from that, um, are we being asked for coloured CDs or ones that look look like vinyl? I don't. Yeah. I don't think there's a particular trend happening at the moment. Yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, with vinyl, we've definitely seen more colours, more splatter, more different effects vinyl. Yeah. Um, coming over, oh, well, we just did an amazing kind of holographic looking one as well. Oh, cool. Crazy. Yeah, I look at our Instagram. I can't sure. remember what it was off the top of my head, but it just looked amazing. Um, but with, with CDs, at the moment, I, I wouldn't say so much. I think people tend to play play with their formats more on vinyl. Yeah. Although, as you say, with cassettes, you can get the different colour shells for them and people are being kind of quite clever with that, um, I suppose. I've, and with cassettes, you know, they've come back, but it's still very minimal. Is it? Is it still less than CDs? Way less, way less. Wow, wow. Um, you know, CDs are interesting too because I've seen a few Japanese labels that are still doing extremely trendy, gorgeous cardboard packaging with CDs, and, and you know, today they're doing incredible graphic design elements in these in these packages. And and we're not and we're talking about like very young, trendy labels. Um, it's cool to see, you know, other countries uh, how they have different formats than. We might assume in North America or or in the Western world. Yeah, that's, it's interesting how different. I suppose yeah, different worlds, mm-hmm. different parts of the world have have, have gone towards different formats. Yeah, and certainly the, um, Germany is sort of a really big market, and that was that was very vinyl orientated. Right, um, and I think Japan was always quite CD mm-hmm. orientated. It, it was, I suppose, possibly because at the uh, yeah when they exploded, it was like an advanced technology, and you always sure. think of Japanese marketplaces being you know going for the next new technology. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, no, that's true. Um, I remember. Um, you know, when I first got started as an independent artist some 20 years ago or so, Glassmaster was the only way to be taken seriously. Uh, and then about 10 years later, the, the idea of CDRs and, and printing on a, a replicated CD as opposed to a duplicated CD, if I'm getting that right. And, wow. and, and I... Uh, to me, the they were good. They were good quality, and and they looked beautiful, and the packaging was great. <clears throat> Excuse me, and the price was fifty percent off. Um, so you know, is that um, w- you know, where does the, what is the role of the glass master and the duplication uh, play versus um, um, CDRs? It, it's it's normally a matter of numbers. Oh, okay. Because um, duplication is kind of like real time copying. Okay. Yes, right. So smaller numbers, it's more worthwhile to do that. And then you can get digitally printed artwork. Mm-hmm. Whereas replication tends to be higher numbers, which is the glass master first. Yeah. Um, because and it, it's a much, much, much quicker process. And it's still, once you get to, to 500 or 1,000, probably 1,000, it's much, much cheaper. Okay. Um, yeah. Because that's it right. is a kind of manufacturing process rather than a. a yeah, a, a manual, more manual process. It's kind of like lathe cuts in a way. <laughs> I was just going to say that. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. I was wondering if manufacturing facilities are will forever be reluctant to throw out any type of technology for fear that it might come back. <laughs> Especially, yes. I'm, yeah. No, because they did start throwing away all cassettes. Oh, okay. When cassettes started kind of coming back, 
there wasn't any tape right to actually read right. the cassettes with and, and the, a lot of people had thrown away their machines there were very few available and yeah. there was there was, a, there was an, an actual tape crisis yeah. um, for a while and i think one one of the factories that we worked with with, with cassettes had to persuade an old factory that used to make it to kind of start making it again and say, wow. if you start making it, we'll buy this amount we'll buy. <laughs> so that it's worth your while. So they, they yeah, that, that was a kind of close thing. Wow, that's crazy. I do remember seeing a news report not very long ago where they said that, you know, some uh, Japanese manufacturer has made the last cassette player and they're you know they've just it it was surprised everyone that in the 2000s it rolled off and i was just thinking oh you might want to start up those machines again because i think people would would die to buy a walkman today for yeah, cheap you know what? i was really surprised because sony had their uh, the walkman had its well i can't remember 40 50 30 okay yeah. strip was recently yeah and and they um they brought out a player that looked like a Walkman, but actually was digital. Digital. Oh my goodness! And didn't take CDs, and you're like, going, "What? Uh, what? What?" Yeah. Thought that up. I so know. Yeah, didn't take CDs or cassettes either. Yeah, yeah. I know. You know why, why would you do that? If I was there, I'd have done a cassette one because obviously cassettes have come back, and it would have been really quirky and. Well, it, it looked like it was a cassette on the front, but it was just a print. That's crazy. I know. You, some some of those companies really miss the mark. I don't know. if They just don't have people who are paying attention. Or maybe they do, and maybe they think that that there isn't enough of a demand. Like, if there isn't millions of people, then it's not worth it. You know, hundreds or thousands might, might not be worth it for them. But yeah, I agree. I, I, I would... I would die for. I'd even get a disc man. I'd get a, anything that that brings me back. I for sure. And the used ones are going for a lot. Yeah, I mean there, there are some kind of new ones that I I, I don't know what the quality is like, but if if you if you look if on the internet, you can find. And I, I mean, in fact, I I bought like a little kind of boogie box thing. Oh yeah, years yeah, online, so that we could play our cassettes again. There was. <laughs> There was a Kickstarter uh, project that I, I've been meaning to purchase to try out because it's quite expensive. It's a, over a hundred dollars, but it was a, a Walkman essentially, and it but it did have a lithium-ion battery, so you could charge it like your phone, and it had and it played tapes. Uh, it was stereo, but it also had Bluetooth capabilities, so you could use your AirPods with it. So it was really cool. It's kind of like the best of modern technology, but you know, old-fashioned technology. So I don't know where that's at. Well, I don't know. I mean, like, like you say, I suppose, again, it's a numbers game, isn't it? That's right. If there's enough people to do it, then, yeah. then, then we'll get it. Yeah, that's right. So tell us about your journey and how you came into this role. Oh, my, how long have you got? Two <laughs> <laughs> years, remember, it's a long old time. <laughs> um, I'll do a nutshell version. Sure. <laughs> um, so I guess music taking the top 40, yep. started going to see bands at quite a young age, about 14, I guess. And I don't know, it did something to me, made the, the hairs on my arms stand up. Um, kind of, I suppose, sort of felt an affinity then, but didn't really give it too much thought. Um, and then when I went to college, I started... Um, booking bands there so, so there were two people that booked bands one's quite a famous promoter now 
Um, and he did all the big bands and I did all the independent bands. Um, and as I said, some DJing, mm -hmm. DJs for, for, for the college. Um, and really, really loved it and enjoyed it. Made the college some money, which apparently was very unusual. But I don't know if that was my business brain or because I was honest. <laughs> which yeah. never, I guess, a good thing. Um, and that really fired me. A bit bizarrely, I've actually got some old posters from my university, and we're going back to the eighties now. Wow. That are in my office at the moment of some of the pans that I've booked. Wow. Um, yeah, some of him are still going. There you go. <laughs> so that I think that kind of fueled me. And then when I left college, I worked abroad for a bit. Then I travelled. I kind of did my gap year the other way around. Sure. Came back to London. Didn't know what I wanted to do at all. Um, and my sort of best mate said, um, "Why don't you go into music? That's what that's what kind of sings to you. That's what's really always fired you up." Yeah. And so I thought, okay, and of course everyone told me, not of course necessarily, but that if I was a woman to get into the music industry, I'd have to become a secretary oh. and I could rise to the giddy heights of a PA. And I thought, well, I don't, don't really want to do yeah. that. So I, like, I aspire to have my own PA. I still aspire to have my own PA. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I don't know if I could let go enough. <laughs> right, right. Anyway. Um, no internet at the time, no sure. mobile phones, I didn't actually sure. existed. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I was looking in the back of papers for jobs, making phone calls and wrote my CV. I'm literally going around and knocking on doors. Obviously, there, yeah, there's a lot of music scene in London. So I was just mm -hmm. knocking on doors and seeing what was available. And I managed to land myself a job as a receptionist. Um, not a PA, <laughs> um, a distribution company called Rough Trade Distribution wow. which was, um, in King's Cross, not far from where my office is now. Okay. Um, and they needed, I think someone was off on sick or something. And so I, I went to, to fill in for them. Great place to start because you learn what's going on in a company. Yeah. And I was really, I've made a nuisance of myself, <laughs> asked loads of questions. Um, so started there and then at one point I got asked to come and do some work in the production department, so mm. the department of essentially key production sure. in yeah. <laughs> Um And I, they asked me to check off some invoices because they, they realised that I had sort of quite a good brain. Yeah. Um, and so I, I sat there and I started doing invoices. Um, and learning some of the terminology that went into manufacturing, which is, you know, different then to some of what it is I now. Um, and then someone left and they, they phoned up from the airport. <laughs> I've left, I'm leaving the country. <laughs> um, and so I got the job, um, learned, learned about production really quickly because my boss went off sick, I think, the first week. Oh, man. I just left going, ah. <laughs> Um, and then and then climbed up quite quickly. So I then ended up um, actually managing the department. Then Rough Trade Distribution um, went into trouble. Um, I managed to ask to be made redundant before things went really bad, which I'm really really glad about. So oh, interesting. I, I mean, it was a very small redundancy, but I left with some money and set up key production. Mm. Right, and that was 1990, and I'd um, one of 
one of the record labels that was going through the production department um, in a rough trade. I'd been talking to her and I was sort of friendly with, and I've kind of worked out, because I knew all the prices and I knew how everything works, and I'd worked out I could give them a really good deal and make enough money to live on if I did all of their manufacturing. And they knew that I knew what I was talking about yeah, because I'd yeah. been doing it at a rough trade. And so, bless them, Jungle Records, still a customer today. Wow. <laughs> wow. And they set me up in there in a, a little windowless office <laughs> <laughs> with no heat. Um, and I, 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 yeah, I dial up telephone, still no mobile phones. I had a typewriter. Wow. <laughs> computer. And uh, yeah, and just started up from there and uh, yeah, advertised. Went, went out a lot, networked. Yeah. 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 Well, so let me ask you about the physical side of music and, and what draws you into that? Was it, I mean, it sounds like it was an accident that you just kind of, but, but, but there must be something about it. You know, does your love for it grow or, or have you always been drawn to that physical component of music? I think I've been drawn to physical. Um, it certainly grew and it, it was a happy, yeah, a happy yeah. accident. Yeah. Yeah. I, just, and I ended up there. But it, it's, yeah, it's like, it's art. I mean, you said that right at the beginning, yeah. didn't you? Yeah. It, it really is an art form. And to see, I mean, particularly vinyl as well, you know, that, that you know, the beauty, the thought that went into it and lyrics as well. Yeah, yeah. And it's just, and, and it, it, it makes you feel attached to the artist. You can see a bit of them in it, on it. Mm-hmm. it yeah, it, it, it's just... Yeah, some, something that that is amazing. Um, and I've I try as try as hard as I do. I'm I'm still much more dr- drawn to that than anything in the ether. <laughs> yeah. Oh, sure. You know, there was there was a theory, um, and I don't know now that vinyl's been. Um, popular so popular in the streaming world i wonder if anyone's done their dissertation on this but there was this theory that it was streaming and the impersonal uh intangible components of streaming that really kind of reignited vinyl again and i personally feel that i don't know do you think that's true well you see again i mean we're a little cut from the same cloth aren't we yeah yeah (laughs) <laughs> I, I mean, I, I think so. I, th- I think what, what streaming and well, downloading first, I guess, did it, yes. it, is it opened people's ears up to more music. Agreed. And they, 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 they I, I, what, what I, I see is people use sort of streaming to, in the majority, the people, the, the people that buy stuff, sure, they yep. use streaming to find stuff. Yes, and yep. then find out, go see the band, and then you get hooked in and you want physical. Yeah. No, that's true. I mean, I will, when it comes to a genre that I'm not overly familiar with or that isn't my primary genre, I'll go to streaming and I'll listen to almost everything in the in the mainstream of that genre. And then whatever it is that stands out to me the most is what I will then add to my physical collection. So I've loved, yeah, I've loved streaming for uh, just to, for that type of gateway for sure. Yeah, and I, I think that happens to a lot of people because there's a lot of stuff out there. Yeah, um, yeah. it helps you kind of hone down, I guess, what 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 you like, what you want, and then what you want to be part of. 
Yeah. Are you excited about um, where physical media is going? Is it, it must be a stressful time, especially, you know, with the supply chain, like what we talked about. And I see a lot of things online. I have a lot of friends uh, in the, in the manufacturing industry, uh, friends of the show. And I see a lot of people online criticizing people like you for the the price increases. And, and I don't think that's fair. I, I really don't. I, and I know, and I don't think it's fair to blame record stores because I have friends who own record stores and I know it's not them. Uh, are you excited about this? Is this a stressful time for you? It, honestly, it's been, I've, as I said, I've been doing it this, I've been doing this for Kipley Key Production since the first of two years and then a couple of years yeah. before at Rock Trade. So it's, and I would say it's probably been the most stressful time I've, I've ever gone through. And and the guys that are on the front, I'm not on the front line. Yeah. The, my guys that are on the front line, it's like we're trying to, to provide a service to people. Yeah when we don't kind of know what's happening when when you know the supply chain's been been chaos yeah um and and literally our price i mean we used to be able to go and negotiate prices with people i mean like normal business yeah (laughs) and now we get price rises overnight like literally overnight and we cannot do anything about it. And they keep going. All we're doing when we're price rising to people is putting up the prices by the same amount as we're being given yeah. those rises. And we can't negotiate it. Because guys go, goes, it's like if, if you don't take up this, this price rise, I've got a list of like 100 people that want to come and get some violence from me. And not even necessarily uh, record plants. They could be other manufacturers who need the same raw materials, like you said earlier. <laughs> Well, that's so interesting, and 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 I, you know, I didn't want to bring this up, but there is some things I'm seeing on Twitter from record labels in our community who are getting their quotes from pressing plants are being changed while the record is is at the plant, and so in the 12 months or 10 months that that they now say, if you want us to release this project to you, the price has gone up by X amount. That is tough to swallow. Uh, and so you're saying, uh, and I'm not a journalist, I can't verify if those are true, but you're saying that that is because you're, somebody's doing that to you. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it is absolutely true. And it, it, honestly, it cripples us. Yeah. So in, in, in the olden days, <laughs> if, we, if, if, a, if a vinyl plant came to us and said, we've got to give you a price rise, we'd ask for a, a period of several months Yeah. In order to, to, well, first of all, we'd fight back. Okay. And we'd try and reduce the rights. Yeah, yeah. And we'd negotiate. Um, then if we, then when we'd come to an acceptable conclusion between both of us, I'd then give between one, I'd, I'd ask them for, I'd try for at least three months notice. Okay. Before they put them up so that we could then write to all of our clients and speak to all of our clients and say, okay, this factory has done this and we have this much time to put it up. Now that, that was in the days when you, you when, you wouldn't have started a release during that time, so so, and the price rise wasn't that much. Yes. Um. So it didn't really, it didn't really notice. You hadn't even, you hadn't started it. Sure. It wasn't going to affect you until the next time. Right. Um. And everything was okay. Whereas now, like you say, suddenly it takes months and months to do to to, to produce it, and. The the, um, the factories are buying the raw materials as they sort of come in, and they're getting the pressure. It's all the way down the supply chain. Wow! And and again, they can't negotiate because the supplier that, that's um, 
sort of dividing with the substrate is, is going to say, well, I can sell it onto Joe Bloggs, uh, you know, yeah. 20% more tomorrow. Yeah. So unless you pay me 20% more now, and they won't let them have the goods unless they pay them more. Wow. So it's, it's literally a knock-on all the way down the supply chain. So, so when we try to negotiate now with the factory, they'll go, well, yeah, this has just happened to us. Yeah. So we need it to happen to you. So we yeah. then need to do it to yeah. our clients. So yes, it is happening. Wow. And, um, and it's, yeah, it's kind of I mean, disgusting. I hate doing that. Yeah. Oh, I bet. I bet. Yeah, it's, it's not great customer service, is it? Well, no, and I, I appreciate you sharing that. I really do, because that's it's very interesting. I think everybody needs to t- discuss about what's going on because it's it's not necessarily one greedy person. Well, maybe it is at the very, very top, but there's, you know, it's certainly not at your at this level and it's not the labels. And the, the, I know that music fans are blaming labels and I know that that music fans are blaming record stores. And, and, and so, you know, everyone's blaming everyone, but I think if we really just stop, if everyone listened to this episode and, and, and were to stop and to think of all the components involved, um, hopefully there'd be a little bit more empathy <laughs> yeah i mean you know and again you've, you've got to look you've got to look at the whole chain you know a record store has to pay its rent and its electricity yeah uh, and gas and all those prices are going up uh, you know uh, all the time without warning yeah. they've got to pay their staff getting staff i, I mean again i don't know what it's like in canada but in, in the uk because the cost of living has gone up then then all the wages has to yeah. go up and you can't get enough Stuff unless you pay them more than you used to, yeah. And therefore, yeah. So everything is having an impact on on everything. Well, that's so so true. My favorite record store just around the corner is being kicked out by their landlord, and it really is interesting because of they can't afford their their current rent. And it's just so interesting to think when you buy a record. One of the people that has to get paid in that, it's not just the artist, it's not just the label, it's not just the pressing plant, but it's also the landlord of that building, whatever scumbag that is, he's getting some of that record money. Isn't that crazy to think of? Yeah, I mean, it, 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 yeah, it's a massive long chain, and I think people yeah. don't... Well, you don't think about it no. sometimes, do you? I no. mean, I think, I think you know, we've, we've all probably done the same thing. It's like, it's how much... How much did it gone up? It only cost me half of that last week. I know, I know. Well, I, I I think I had this epiphany one time. I was buying a pair of socks and I looked at the price and you, everyone has a, a number in your head of what you think a pair of socks is worth and it's very low. And I remember thinking to myself, wow, these are expensive. And then I was like, what would it take for me to make a pair of socks? <laughs> Just one pair, one sock, it would take me a whole year. I wouldn't even know where to start. And, and so, you know, we we really do need to... I mean, we're getting we're getting a little too deep in in this. Uh, <laughs> we're trying to solve all the world's problems here. Can you tell me before I let you go? I want you to tell me about moving the needle. This is something that came up uh, in when I was researching for this episode, and, and it's very interesting, especially because when you talked about when you were, uh, you know, trying to get a job in the music industry as a woman, can you talk to me a little bit about moving the needle and that organization? Yes. So um, I started a few years ago, mm-hmm. as I said, I've been, been in this game for a long time. Um, I realised, and I think a lot of people do this, you realise how much you've got to give back mm. to people because of the experiences that you've had over time. And obviously I, I, I've always, you know, I, I, I'm, a, I'm a woman who's a leader in, in an industry um, that has been very male-dominated for yeah. many, many years. 
um, and it's had it, its particular struggles. So, so I started, I hate public speaking. <laughs> so, so I, and I started putting myself out of my comfort zone because it's always good to do that um, and try and share some of the challenges and some of the wisdom, I suppose, that I've learned over the years. Right. So I started doing panels and then I started going into schools and talking to schools um, and then I was talking to like-minded women and we were talking to each other and going, it's like, we're all in very, very different parts of the music industry. We're in parts of the music industry that we didn't know existed. Yeah. Right. This by accident. <laughs> and then we're thinking, it's like, well, how do we, how do we enable other people, particularly young women to learn or people identifying as women to, you know, to learn yeah. Um, all the different places you can go in the music industry right. um, and talking and thinking about all the jobs that are now in the industry that weren't in the industry when I started. True. And, and so we, we, so a group of us set up Moving the Needle. We've, we've just, just become a CIC, which is a community interest company. Great. Um, and we go around to schools, colleges, um, do panels, and talk to people by telling, telling them the stories of our lives. We've all gone through the music industry in different ways. We've all had different um, experiences. We, a lot of us have changed our careers along the ways. Um, but by sort of telling people about that and talking to them about the plethora of just different jobs and how you can get in mm -hmm. and, and helping people in, in sort of what, what people are looking for as leaders as people in the music industry, what sort of skills do you need? Right. Um, and, and so on and so forth. So that's kind of like what one part of it. Then the, an, another part is to set up some mentoring, which, which we're working on at the moment. Um, again, to sort of help women at any stage in, of their career, whether you want to get into the music industry, whether you're halfway in, or whether you're a bit older, there, there's, a, there's a hideous statistic about how many people drop out of the music industry. Oh, right. Um, when they get into about 40 odd, okay. um, often because of caring responsibilities. Yep. Yep. Often, if there's a couple that's in the industry together, the, the, the male will stay on. Interesting. The woman, yep. the woman sure. will do the caring. You know, yep. so, 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 we wanted to kind of go for a form of something that, that could help. Um, so we're in, we're quite, we the two years old, I think we, we set up. Um, and so, yeah, uh, slowly, slowly, we're, we're sort of beginning to do some more events. Um, as I say, setting up, setting up the mentoring. And then eventually sort of an, another thing that, that we'd like to do is actually make, you know, to, to talk to the government. <laughs> Maybe the next one. <laughs> <laughs> Bring politics into it. Um, but, but there's some countries that, um, that support women and their caring responsibilities. Mm -hmm. um, and for example, you know, some companies will have a, a crash of in, in countries, you're, you're able to put kids into childcare or the care for the elderly is much, much better than it is, for example, in the UK, sure. which enables women to kind of stay in work yeah. rather than have to leave work. Um, if you imagine if, you're, if you go on tour, yeah, how to go on tour with a young child or if your parents are or something like that, yeah. if you haven't got the support of the government behind you. Yeah. So a lot of people just can't afford to do that. So, so yeah, they're, they're, as I say, those are kind of like the main issues um, that we want to tackle. So uh, That's very cool.
Well, no, I that's so amazing. And one of the things I read about the organization when I was checking it out was this word demystifying, which is something that I use a lot on this show. And I know, you know, that our our mutual friend, Women in Vinyl, another great organization, it's the same type of thing, is that, you know, and and this whole conversation we've had today has been you. Uh, opening up and demystifying this manufacturing process. And and so, like, this industry has been gatekeeper, gatekeeper, gatekeeper for so many years. Uh, and so I, I think organizations like this, the, the one of the, the greatest impact they can have is just providing answers, letting people ask stupid questions and, and saying, yeah, this is how it's done. You don't need to do that. Don't waste your money there. <laughs> you know, so that's amazing. Yeah, yeah, and, and follow your passion, and, and don't be scared to. And mm-hmm. yeah, and there are other people in here to help you. That's and right. To help you through it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and to call out bad behaviour. Right. Um, yeah. yeah. Just, just, just all sorts. So I, I think having sort of a group of, of women that have that have made it, sort of yeah. thing, yeah. is you know, it, it's, it's really good. So, and and people know that they can sort of come to us. And, I love the thing that you said about asking questions. When I, one, one of my things that I always say to people is there's, there's never a wrong question to ask. Sure. Always yeah. ask questions. Yeah. Follow yeah. your passion. <laughs> well, and at, when it comes to people who've been in the industry for so long and, and educators in the music industry, we forget that uh, there's a lot of uh, common sense knowledge that we have that a lot of people don't have. And so sometimes people will email me asking a question about starting a record label or or something about getting their music online. And I'll just be blown away at how uh, you know novice this question is. and and but to them, it's it's a a, a huge barrier to get started. And I'm like, wow, it it, it wakens me up to realize, there isn't. There's no such thing as common knowledge in this industry. There's a lot of people who 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 need some help getting started. Yeah, and not, not only just not common knowledge when you start, but things change. I mean, yeah, good as point. Say, yeah, things have changed yes. so much yes. as, as just in the last thirty. I mean, I suppose thirty years is a long time, but yeah, no, you're right. I mean, even the past five years, it's changed. Well, in the past two years since COVID. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But it's also, it's the, yeah, it's the changing, you know, the changing of the types of jobs and, and making people aware of, of, yeah. of the different types. But, you know, you love doing social media. You love music, doing social media and music. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. The job there. I mean, how great. Ch- when I fell into the music industry, I'm like, oh, my God, all my Christmases have come at once. I <laughs> get paid to go out, to see shows, to talk to people and to have a great time. I yeah. mean, it's like, I know. brilliant. I know. Uh, I know. Karen, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us. It's it's been incredible. Thank you. <laughs> thank you very much for uh, inviting me on. My pleasure. Thank you all for listening, and thanks to Karen from uh, Key Production for being on the show. Go to keyproduction.co.uk. Um, their company, Breed Media, is also in our directory, and you can check them out there at otherrecordlabels.com slash directory. I hope that you have found this insightful. Um, getting to peek behind the curtain at some of these manufacturing plants. I know a lot of us are only experienced with these manufacturing plants is through our reps and pestering our reps and saying, where's my order? Where's my order? So hopefully this has brought a little bit of clarity to this world. Um, and visit otherrecordlabels.com slash manufacturing where you can learn a little bit more. And we have some more episodes coming up shortly about the world of artwork and pressing and that kind of stuff. Thanks for listening.